number one, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. People that don't have, have a hard time memorizing the books of the Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Somebody told me when I was a kid, they said, it's real easy. You remember General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And I thought that was too secular for me, so I changed it to Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 13. Records words along these lines. Who delivered us. Everybody say delivered. Don't mumble it. Say delivered. Who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He delivered us out of and he delivered us into. He delivered us out of the power of darkness and he translated us into the kingdom of his son. That's all we're going to read right there. I want to start a new series today called Two Kingdoms. Everybody say Two Kingdoms. Say Two Kingdoms. Now, when we got ready to launch, I, uh, when we got ready to plant the church a couple of months leading up to it, um, I started actually probably a couple of days leading up to it, not a couple of months, a couple of days leading up to it, I started to think about, you know, what am I going to preach? We were so busy, I almost forgot to order the pulpit. We ordered everything else. We ordered diaper bags and diaper jeans. Forgot to, what am I going to preach? What are these first couple of months going to look like? What are they going to what are they going to look like? And you'll have to forgive me. I am, I'm not the kind of preacher that has the next two years planned out. Okay? If you want to know what I'm preaching in July, I don't know. I'll take requests. Like a radio station. <laughs> okay? Because I would rather preach what I believe God's saying now than have a calendar populated with a bunch of content that doesn't mean anything to you or me once we finally get around. I've met preachers that are planned out two years from now. How are you still burning from that two, for that two years from now? Hmm? I would rather preach what God is stirring in the moment, what God's stirring in us right now, than have a cute little calendar with all of the elements. I think people that can do that, I think that's awesome. I think that's wonderful. I just don't roll like that. So a couple of days before we launched, I started thinking about what are we going to preach? How, how, how are we going to address this? What are we, what are we going to do? And I knew I had two options. I have two options. The first thing I could do is I could come in. I've been preaching a long time. I've been preaching over 20 years, so I've got a repertoire of sermons, all right? I could come in for the next couple of weeks, and I could preach Casey Dawson's uh, greatest hits. And I've got a few, all right? I could preach Casey Dawson's greatest hits, try to get everybody excited, try to get the church to grow. Or I could come in and I could lay some foundation for some revelation and some understanding that I believe is going to serve our church for the rest of her life. You, and I know this probably don't mean much to you if you're not a preacher, but there are, two, there are really two streams um, really conflicting in the church nowadays about preaching and how to preach and what to preach. The most predominant stream by far is you take the Word of God and you boil it down to the most simple and simplistic ideas and concepts that you possibly could. Don't challenge people too much. Don't push people too far. Don't call people to a standard. Just boil it down and make it very nice and cute and funny. If you have the right wardrobe today and you can tell some jokes, you can preach. 
Ain't nobody helping me this morning. I believe completely the opposite. I don't believe you boil it down to its base components. I believe you preach where you want people to be and then watch them rise to the occasion. All right? And so I decided I'm, I'm not going to go in and just preach my greatest conference messages, although we could do that. I'm going to go in and I'm going to lay foundational revelation that's going to be a well that we draw from for the rest of our life as a church. So if you remember the very first series I preached, I preached on being planted. Y'all do remember that, right? I worked hard on that. <laughs> I preached on being planted. I preached on it is God's will for every believer to be planted inside the local church. And I'm not going to back off of that. And we're not going to back off of that. The local church is God's plan. And it's always been God's plan. And there's no substitute for the local church. I probably, I probably won't see some of you after this statement ever again. But I love you anyway. House meetings are not a substitute for the local church. Man, already in the introduction, tick me off. Parachurch ministries are not a substitute for the local church. Hangout prayer meetings and small groups, those are not a substitute for the local church. I wanted to lay a foundation of understanding that said, if you name the name of Christ, it is God's will for you to get planted in the local church. You ain't got to get planted in this one. You just got to go get planted in one. And you got to submit yourself to leadership and submit yourself to an apostolic voice that can help speak into your life. I clap for myself. Preach, white boy, preach. Huh? So we preached on being planted, being rooted. Then I transitioned and we preached on being ma on marriage and we preached on relationships because we want a church where marriages are thriving and exploding. We make a declaration. We don't want there to be any divorce in this church. There are people here, maybe you've already walked through that. I'm not talking about that. God has forgiven that and redeemed that. I'm talking about now moving forward. We want these marriages to explode into everything that God wants to be because we're laying foundation. And then I preached on identity. I preached on, that's not who you are. You remember that one too, right? That was your favorite so far. Because we laid foundation. Foundation. Everybody say foundation. Your Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we're not trying to preach something that will ensure that you come back next week because boy that preacher was funny and boy that preacher had the wardrobe on point and boy that preacher was good looking although I am all of those things <laughs> right that's my faith confession I'm not trying to do that we're trying to lay foundation that will bring transformation amen so what I'm going to talk about today is going to be some more foundation. It's going to be some foundational understanding. I, uh, I grew up Baptist, uh, got baptized in the Holy Ghost, became Pentecostal. And uh, we're Pentecostal. Yes, we are. And um, they didn't get no amens on that. It's all right. And uh, I grew up in old school Pentecost. I mean old School Pentecost. Y'all don't know about it. This generation couldn't handle it. Just couldn't handle it. Okay. I grew up old school Pentecost. And one of my biggest critiques of Pentecostal church was this. And I can critique it because uh, I am it. I, I'm a part of it. We are a part of it. One of my biggest critiques growing up the way I did was everybody believed that the altar solved everything. Y'all all right? 
Everybody believed that a trip to the altar fixed everything. And so I grew up in atmospheres of dynamic revival, laying hands, prophesying, speaking in tongues, falling out, people just about levitating. I've seen them run across the pews. I try, I've never been bold enough to do that because I knew I'd fall and break some. But I've seen them preach and run across the pews. I've seen them do all of the theatrics that we have in Pentecostal church. And our point was always trying to drive people to an altar response. Get them to the altar. Get them to the altar. That's where everything's fixed. Everything's fixed. And so people would come, get hands laid on them, fall out on the power of God, be transformed, be touched deeply and then get up and their marriage is still messed up huh could prophesy but couldn't balance a checkbook could speak in tongues but mean as a snake y'all know who I'm talking about don't you okay so I grew up in that I grew up in people thinking that the altar call fixed all your problems fixed all your problems we believe in altar calls and we want altar calls and we'll lay hands on you right now if you want hands laid on you we'll cast devils out we'll heal the sick we'll do all the stuff I know some of that language makes you uncomfortable. I, 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 we're so glad that you're here today. <laughs> all right. So we do all the stuff. They always thought, you know, trip to the altar, fixed everything, fixed everything. And nothing really changes in your life until your mind changes. I am dead set on raising up a church that honors both the Spirit of God and the Word of God equally. And sometimes we want God to do for us at an altar call what we're unwilling to do for ourselves at home in our own prayer closet. You hear what I'm saying? And so I'm not going to make a big push for you to come to the altar today and get touched. The altar call really happens tonight when you're at home, and it happens tomorrow, and it happens Wednesday at work, and it happens Thursday night over dinner, and it happens Friday. I want to instill some understanding that I believe will bring the transformation that God's been wanting to do in our lives. Amen? All right. So I'm going to preach on two kingdoms. Now, your Bible teaches there are two kingdoms at work in the world right now. Two kingdoms. Everybody say two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world, and then there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Don't let the word kingdom throw you. The word kingdom just comes from two words, king's domain, king's dominion. Wherever a king has dominion, that is his kingdom. And so the kingdom of this world is where the areas of our life, the world's way of thinking has dominion in our lives versus where God has dominion. Let me say it a different way. When I say kingdom, don't use the word kingdom. Use this word. There is a world's system, and then there is God's system. Y'all with me? Let me say it another way. You have the world's ways of doing things. And then you have God's ways of doing things. I don't know if you know this or not, but the world's way of doing things and God's way of doing things are completely the opposite one of the other. Okay? When you and I came into this world, we were born into the world's system. We were born into the world's ways of doing things. That's why, uh, let, me, let me say it this way, the kingdom of God is diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive to everything in the kingdom that we've come out of.
the kingdom of the world. Y'all with me? Y'all looking like I'm talking in Latin, teaching physics in Latin. In, let, me give, let me give an example. In the kingdom of this world, in order to go up, you have to climb the ladder and step on people on your way. In God's kingdom, if you want to go up, you go down. Because he that is the servant is the greatest of all. In the kingdom of the world, if you want to get, you have to take. In God's kingdom, if you want to get, you must first give. Because the kingdom of God is diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive to the kingdom that we've come out of. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Do you remember when God delivered Moses from Egypt? Y'all remember that? And God delivered him into Canaan. Watch the conversation that Moses had with Pharaoh before he left Egypt. He goes into Pharaoh's house and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, you're not going anywhere. Because the first thing the enemy wants us to do is he wants to make sure we never take the first step toward leaving the kingdom of this world, toward leaving this world's ways of doing things and getting into God's ways of doing things. Finally, Moses stands up and again he says, no, let my people go. And, the, and Pharaoh says, you can go, but don't go too far. That is the second attack that the enemy sends in our life. If you're going to leave the kingdom of this world and step into the kingdom of God, make sure that you don't go too far. And Moses said, no, not only am I going to go, my kids are going to go with me. My whole family's going to go with me. He says, no, your family's not going to get to go because the enemy doesn't care if you get out just as long as you don't get everybody that you're connected to out. And he said, no, me and Auntie May May and Boo Boo and Gus Gus, we all coming out of the kingdom of this world and get into the kingdom of God. And finally, he walks up to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And he says, that's fine, but leave all your livestock in, in, in Egypt. Moses says, we're not leaving a hoof in Egypt. We're not leaving the cowbell or the cow. We're leaving, we're, everything's coming out. Everything in our life is leaving Egypt and stepping into Canaan. And most of us, when we got saved, our spirit came out of the world and got planted into the kingdom of God, but our mind didn't. Spirit got saved, but mouth didn't. How many of you know the day you got saved, not, everybody, not every piece of you got saved? Some of y'all still getting saved. Love Jesus, but he's still saving my tongue. Glory to God. Huh? People serve God for 20 years, still ain't got their checkbook saved. Oh, ain't no, ain't no laughing on that one. And so we find ourselves in this tug of war because there's part of us that is inside God's ways of doing things and then there's part of us located inside the kingdom of this world. And so there are parts of our lives that we allow to be governed by the world's ways of doing things and then there's part of our lives that we allow to be governed by God's ways of doing things. It doesn't matter if you're saved. If your marriage is still governed by the way the world views marriage, your marriage is going to be dysfunctional. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. If your finances are still being governed by the way the world thinks and the way the world handles things your finances are still going to be dysfunctional we want to get you all the way out that's why your Bible says he delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and he translated us into the kingdom of his son I love the fact that he used the word delivered because when you go to mail a letter Y'all remember doing that back in the day? When you go to mail a letter, when you send something, it is not considered delivered when it leaves your hand. 
It's only considered delivered when it arrives at the destination for which it was intended. And I have people tell me, I used to do drugs, but I don't do drugs anymore. Now I'm delivered. No, you're on your way out. But if you haven't fully taken every aspect of your life and implanted it into God's ways of doing things, you've not been fully delivered yet. Used to be bound. I didn't used to, but I, people say I used to be bound by alcoholism, and now I got delivered. I'm glad you are clean, and I'm glad you are free, but the Bible only considers you delivered not when you just leave the world's ways, but when you get fully planted inside God's ways in every area of your life, in your relationships, in your money, in your kids, in your mind, in your mouth, in your tongue, and how you think, and how you operate, and how you interact with the world. So what it means to be delivered. That's why Jesus would say things like, you are in this world, but you are not of this world. That's why your Bible will say things like this in Ephesians chapter number 2. And you has he made alive because you were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the system of this world. In times past, you walked according to the system of this world. But now you've been made righteous and you've been brought into the kingdom of God. Some of us are still living in this tug of war between two kingdoms and cannot figure out why. Why are all of these promises not coming to pass the way God called them to come to pass? Why, why am I not seeing everything that preacher up there sweating and yelling about? Why am I not walking to all this abundance and all of this stuff? And why, you know, they're talking about prosperity and they're talking about healing in your body and they're talking about peace in your mind and they're talking about help, being healthy in your emotions and being healthy in your relationships. Why do I feel like there are parts of me in one kingdom and other parts of me? In another kingdom. It's because you've not come all the way out yet. See, if I, if I could sit down with you. We used to teach at a Bible college in Hamilton. And if, if I could sit down with you like a Bible college student and say, I'm going to give you an assignment. Write down on a sheet of paper for me what happened to you when you got saved. Tell me what happened to you when we got saved. Most Pentecostals don't even think deeper about it than that. They're just like, yeah, glory to God. Glory to God. You got to get that church of God voice. Glory to God. What happened to you when you got saved? You said, well, I was going to hell. Now I'm going to heaven. Glory to God. And that's true, but that's not, that is not the totality of what happened. See, we have made the salvation experience completely about what happens after we all die. Right? If that was the main focus of salvation, the best thing we could do for you the moment you got saved was shoot you. Jesus, the, the disciples walk up to Jesus and they say this. They say something fascinating. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Listen to what Jesus says. All right? Pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth just like it's being done in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. This is how I want you to pray. I want you to pray that the kingdom leaves there and comes down here. I want you to pray that earth starts looking like heaven. If you study it in the Greek, he's actually saying this. Pray this way. Kingdom, come. Will of God, be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a group of believers that are sitting around waiting for the great escape. When Jesus told us to pray for the great invasion. That's how I grew up. That's how I grew up. I can sing all the hymns. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. When I die. We had one like this. I'm going to take a trip on the good old gospel ship. I don't even know where that's at in the Bible. I spent years trying to find a ship that's going to float through the sky in the Bible and never found it. And then when I got a little older, I became a teenager. We all started doing dramas about the rapture. Remember that? How many of y'all sit in a church service where the kids did a drama about the rapture? Y'all, the rest of y'all haven't been in church very long, evidently, because every church in America has done it. This is how it would go down. They would do some song about the end of the world and everything. Everybody going to die, right? And Jesus is coming. Then they shut the lights off. <laughs> and then when the lights came back up, there would just be piles of clothes everywhere. The rapture jerks you out of your clothes. I want you to think about this. If that's true, we're going to look up in the sky, and there's going to be millions of naked people floating around. I'm pretty sure that is not in the Bible. <laughs> some, of y'all not been new, some of y'all are new to church. are like, what, are, what is there? What, they teach that stuff? Well, they used to. <laughs> In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. I remember years ago when they would preach on the rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. It kept you living holy because you, you didn't fool around in the back seat when you were a teenager. You was afraid Jesus would come back. You get on an airplane and pray that the pilot was not saved. I got on an airplane one time. I don't know why I'm telling this story. And they came over and they made a big announcement. This is this pilot. This pilot is retiring after this flight. Tell me that after we land. Because the attitude was, either way, this is his last one. <laughs> you ever looked around at the group of people you're flying with and you think, this looks like a group of people that we would go down in a flight together. You ever think about it? Never mind. It's a secret thought to my own mind. So we taught people to wait around for the great escape. And we're completely missing the great invasion. Where he said, no, 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 don't pray that you leave. You pray that I come in all of my power. So that you have people teach that we're going to fly into heaven naked. Then you have people that talk, we're going to fly up into heaven. And then about the time we get in the midair, Jesus is going to come back down. And we're going to meet him. And then we're going to come down with him. I call it the great U-turn. (laughs) 
And so we teach all of these things to try to get us escape to escape what we've actually been assigned to do, which is impose the kingdom of God in the earth. I did not say enforce the kingdom. I said impose the kingdom of God in the earth. That's why your Bible says from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. He's talking about imposing the kingdom of God. That means you walk up to cancer and you impose God's will on cancer. You walk up to depression and you impose God's will on depression. This is not God's will going to make earth look just like heaven. There is no sickness in heaven. There is no depression in heaven. I need somebody to come on and help me preach this. There is no depression in heaven. And I'm going to impose the kingdom of God here because right now we're stuck between two kingdoms. That's why your Bible says when John the Baptist is sitting in the water baptizing people, this is his message. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. That, at, that, that phrase at hand is an old colloquialism from Greek culture. It actually means the kingdom is within your reach. But you have to repent for the kingdom's at your reach. We think repent means come down to the altar, rend our garments, pour sackcloth and ashes on our head, tell Jesus we're sorry for all of our sins. That's not what he means when he says repent. When he says repent, he means this. Change the way you think because the kingdom is within your reach. That's what he's saying. The kingdom could invade your life if we could just get you to change your mind. Repent. Change the way you think. Rethink how you're approaching life. And if you change your mind, the kingdom's within your reach. Kingdoms within your reach. Do you really, and, and, I, and I know this kind of I know this kind of preaching gets a bad rap. I don't really care. I don't really care. People want to you those prosperity preachers. You want those you want those preachers that everything be wonderful. I believe we can experience the kingdom of God on earth. That's what I believe. And I believe in the kingdom. There's no lack. I believe in the kingdom, there's no sickness. I believe in the kingdom, there's no depression. I believe in the kingdom, there's no more, there's no, I believe we can experience the kingdom now. If we change the way we think, do I believe you can live a life with more than enough in every area of your life? Absolutely. And I'm going to preach it till I go into rapture. <laughs> I'm going to preach it till Jesus jerks me out of my clothes. Do I really believe that you can experience, watch this, most Christians are not even familiar with this term. Do I believe you can experience, watch me now, peace? Yeah. Do I believe you can experience joy? Pardon my language right here, but do I believe that life does not have to suck? Yes. Yes. When we change the way we think, the kingdom's within our reach. And Paul even said, the kingdom of God is not in meat or drink, but it is in righteousness, it is in peace, and it is in the joy of the Holy Ghost. Nothing in your life changes till your mind does. Nothing in your life changes until we rethink, until we learn to do life God's ways. 
till we learn to handle money God's ways. God has a way of handling money. And the world has a way of handling money. The kingdom of God. He said if you sow into the kingdom, you get 30, 60, 100 fold. There's not a stock option available that gives you 36. At the base level, the lowest return you're going to get is 30 fold. Y'all, why are y'all acting weird? I'm, this is funny. I'm trying to get people into blessing and they're like, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Well, that's fine. That's fine. But for the rest of us, we're coming all the way out of Egypt. We're not going to allow Pharaoh to say, yeah, you can go, but don't go too far. No, everything in our life is coming out of Egypt and going to be planted inside the kingdom of God. Huh? That's why the Bible said he has pleasure in the prosperity of his service. There's not a stock option available that gives you 30, 60, 100 fold. God is incapable of giving you just enough. Quit believing God for just enough. You ever, seen those, you ever seen those people that they want something? They want a new house or they want a new car? And this is what they'll say. They'll say, I'm, I'm believing God that he's going to speak to somebody. They're going to give it to me for free. Why don't you believe God that you walk into such abundance you can pay for it? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm believing God's going to speak to somebody. Give me a computer. Instead of believing God's going to bless me and empower me to take care of it. God, God is incapable. It is, God, it is contrary to God's nature to give you just enough. He can't give you just enough. Your Bible calls him El Shaddai, which means the God who is more than enough. David did not just say, he fills my cup. David said, my cup runs over. It is not in the nature of God to give you just enough. He can't do it. If he gets ready to bless you, it always has to be more than you need because that's the nature of God. Huh? I, 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 it's funny because I hear all of these people. I'm talking about the kingdom this morning. Y'all okay? We'll be done in a minute. It's 1058 if you're taking medicine. We'll be done in a minute. Talking about the kingdom. Talking about being blessed. Talk about being empowered. You know what's funny? Most of the people that have such a heart for the broken also hate people that preach on being blessed. You know what those broken people need? They don't need your prayer. They don't need your track. You know what they need? A check. Somebody get the power cut off? They don't need you talking about, well, I'm believing God. Y'all with me this morning? Come on, somebody. I need somebody to help me. Y'all with me? They don't need, they don't, that's why he said in John, he said, don't be like this. Don't say, your brother's hungry. Oh, be warm, be filled. That's how we are, right? My car broke down. I, I can't get to work. Be warm, be filled. Right? Maybe God's trying to teach you something. Yeah, God broke the car down. Being blessed, listen, listen. Being blessed means this. To be empowered to prevent misfortune on behalf of another. Just, just, just like, a, like a steak, just marinate in that. Being blessed means you are empowered to prevent misfortune on behalf of somebody else. God does not just want to give to you. He wants to give through you. You hearing what I'm saying? He's not just going to give 
to you. He wants to give through you. He wants to empower you to prevent misfortune on behalf of another. So when somebody don't have enough money to feed their kids, you got something to offer them besides prayer. It's good. Thank you, Donette. Donette's with me. Praise God. You know what that's called? That's called the kingdom. That's called God's king, God's kingdom coming here. You ever had a real need in your life? You ever had a real need in your life? Be it financial or whatever? And somebody come through and meet the need? You ever had that happen? You're like, look, I appreciate you praying for me. <laughs> but that thousand dollars set it right. Set it straight. Because you're empowered. Being blessed means this. When God blesses you, it is God's beneficial endowment of power sent to produce well-being in every aspect of your life. Let me tell you some kingdom thinking. You know when Paul would write his letters, he'd say, Paul, an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace. Remember when he would say peace? That word peace means this. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. Paul is declaring over them, I declare, nothing over your life is missing, nothing's broken. Your marriage isn't missing, your marriage isn't broken. Your kids are not broken. Your money's not broken. Your mind, your emotional health, your joy, your mental stability, it's not missing, it's not broken. He's not talking about, I'm just praying for you. No, he's declaring the kingdom of God to every area of your life. This is what God said in Psalms. He said, if it concerns you, it concerns me. I want you to think about it. If it's a concern to you, it's a concern to God. I was praying one time. I, I forgot. I don't remember what it was. We, we were in the part of this ministry. And they were praying for, they were having intercessory prayer. If you don't know what that is, we'll talk about it later. <clears throat> they were interceding for nations of the earth, just different nations just praying. And I don't remember who I was praying for. I was on staff there, so I had to pray for somebody. And I was like, I don't know. I picked a nation. I don't remember which one it was. That's how, that's how much I was impassioned about the nation, whichever one it was. And I was praying, praying, praying. And the Lord spoke to me. The Lord stopped me and said, stop praying. Like, what? Stop praying. He said, quit trying to concern me with things that do not concern you. Only bring to me what concerns you, and I am concerned about what concerns you. That means your kid that's not doing exactly how you want them to do, if you're concerned about that, God's concerned about that. Your marriage, if that's a concern, God, it's a concern to God. Isn't it amazing that we don't just serve a God, we serve a Father. The Father. That's why he said, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, pray like this, our Father. And they say, wait a second. We don't call him Father. He was killing folk left and right in the Old Testament. And you want us to call him dad? Our father. They never called him father in the Old Covenant. They called him God. And it was creator and creation. And nothing but fear separated us. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, pray like this. Our father. 
who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Because when Jesus died on the cross, watch this. When Jesus died on the cross, your Bible says when he's dying on the cross, he does not cry out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because when Jesus showed up, he was God to the people, but he was father to Jesus. But when Jesus died on the cross, the roles reversed, and he became God to Jesus so he could become father to me and you. You are not bringing your needs to a God. You're bringing your needs to Abba, Father. Hallelujah. Somebody thank God for your father this morning who's concerned about, come on, who's concerned about what concerns you. Stand up on your feet. Woo, glory to God. Are you with me this morning? Come on, Hope Unlimited. I'm going to, listen, I'm going to make a demand on you. I'm going to make a demand on you. The word of God demands a response. Whenever Jesus spoke a word to people in the Bible, he would say things like this. Now take up your mat and walk. Now take up your mat and walk because the word of God demands a response. I know it's not Knoxville culture. I don't care. I'm not from Knoxville. And I didn't come to plant a church that looks like Knoxville. I came to plant a church that looks like the kingdom of Almighty God. Can I get a witness from somebody? So this is my introduction to the series, Two Kingdoms. We've been called. Part of our life is still governed by the world's ways of doing things. Am I right? Let's be honest, if I, get, if I sit down with you, I'll say, what area of your life is still functioning? I met, I met with a married couple recently. Wonderful people, love God, serve God. Their marriage was hurting. Their marriage was hurting. And I'm, and I'm watching it. I'm watching it transpire. And they're, they're doing their thing, and, you know, this is why she's wrong. This is why he's wrong. The, the whole thing that we call marriage counseling. And I remember interrupting them and saying, here's your problem. You're still doing marriage like the world. You're still trying to fight over who's right. You want to do marriage God's way, you have to surrender your right to be right. You want to do marriage God's way, husband, you have to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wife, you have to submit and honor and respect your husband as unto the Lord. If you want to do it God's way. But when you obey God's principles, you get God's promises. We cannot pray for his promises and still break his principles. And there are principles that govern functioning in his kingdom. There are rules that govern functioning in his kingdom. If you want to operate in God's kingdom, we have to operate in God's wisdom. If we want to operate in the world's kingdom, we function by the world's wisdom. That's what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians. He would always talk about the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of God. He would say things like this. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The strength of this world is like weakness to God. He said, but if you want to get inside this kingdom, you have to rethink. Over the next couple of weeks, this is what I'm going to do on purpose. I'm going to challenge your thinking. I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, let's repent. Let's change the way we think. Let's change our minds. Be not conformed 
to this world's system, your Bible says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hallelujah. How many of you are ready? We're ready to, to leave the wisdom of this world behind and embrace the wisdom of God. Anybody ready? Let's say this. Inside the kingdom of God, there are advantages. There are benefits to functioning inside God's kingdom that is not allowed to people in the world that function according to the world's wisdom. Let me tell you how, how much I believe in this. I have seen people that are not saved tithe and be blessed. Y'all get funny when I talk about tithing. If I've not proven to you by now, I'm not going to put pressure on you about money. I'll never prove it. But I am going to preach because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Right? I'm not spying on your tithing records. I don't know who gives what. I don't care. I'm going to teach the principle, and then you do with it what you want. Is that all right? Is that all right? But I've seen people unsaved that tithe and are blessed. Why? Because they're functioning according to a kingdom principle. And it works every time. A lot of times we want God to break things off of our life when really what we need God to do is break a pattern. Everything coming into our life right now is a result of a pattern. I don't, I have, I'm getting way ahead of myself. We've got to get God to, we've got to get the kingdom to break these patterns driven by the wisdom of the world and embrace the wisdom of God. That's why Jesus said you can be in it, but not of it. That's why he said this. He said, this is how they're going to know you're my disciples. Because y'all love each other. This is what he's saying. This is how they're going to know you're my disciples. Because y'all live in such close community and still like one another. The world doesn't function that way. Put two four-year-olds in a room and see what happens. Put two better church people in a room and see what happens. Put two kingdom people in a room and see what happens. We want to come out. We want to come in. We want to get delivered in every area of our life. Lift your hands to him. Lord, we thank you today. We love your word. We thank you for your word. You've pulled us out of the kingdom of darkness. And you're leading us into the kingdom of your son. And we thank you for your word. <laughs> Oh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your ways. Thank you that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are your thoughts above our thoughts and your ways above our ways. God, we're praying this morning, don't give us our way. Don't give us our way. Give us your way. Are y'all ready to grow in the kingdom? Come on, Hope Unlimited. Are you ready to grow in the kingdom? Over the next couple of weeks, are you ready to grow in the kingdom? Now, this is why I'm doing this. Because for the life of our church, you're going to hear me talk about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. We don't understand the kingdom because we live in a democracy. But you are not part of a democracy when you join the church. You are part of a kingdom where Jesus is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords so we're going to rethink and we're going to learn to think according to the kingdom of God 
Give Jesus one more shout of praise. Hallelujah.